song said, be careful where you stand, you may be sinking. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. I was 12 years old. My parents had been involved in a very messy divorce for two years already. In and out of court almost every month, it would be three more years before the court finally settled all the issues of that divorce. My mother loved the Lord. She loved the Seventh-day Adventist Church and my father hated it because he didn't have control of everything that she said and did. So the only real issue in the divorce for five years was the custody of myself and my younger sister. You see, I made my decision at age eight to become a Seventh-day Adventist. The preacher told me I was too young. He said, I can't baptize you, you're too young. I said, okay. Every time there was an altar call, I was right there. Until I was age nine, he said, okay. The divorce started about a year later, and uh, eventually my father got the court to give him custody on the weekend, starting at Saturday morning at 8 o'clock until Sunday evening at 5 o'clock, so I couldn't be sitting where you're sitting. I ran away from him twice, which almost got me, well, got me in a lot of trouble with the court, and my dad tried to put me in jail for a year for violating the court order. One of my father's tactics was to take me to another church to get me converted in another church so I wouldn't be a Seventh-day Adventist. So one Saturday night, he took me to a distant relative's church, which was a Pentecostal church, and he sicked the preacher on me. You know what that means, don't you? I was in a world of trouble. The preacher didn't even preach two minutes before he made an altar call and he looked at me and he said, are you saved? Well, I remember hearing something about that. Let's see, what did it say? Those who accept the Savior, however sincere their conversion, should never be taught to say or to feel that they are saved. Christ Object Lessons, page 155. Now, I was... <laughs> this preacher had a hold of my arm. He was trying to pull at a socket right out of my shoulder. Are you saved? Those who accept the Savior, however sincere their conversion, should never be taught to say or to feel that they are saved. This is misleading. So what was I going to say? Twelve years old. Well, I had to get this preacher off my arm. So I began to fudge my truthfulness a little bit and say, I, I think I am, yeah. And they said, but uh, are you sure you're saved? Well, I think so. He says, boy, that's not good enough. And so I said, yeah, I am saved. And so he finally left me alone. 
But in my mind, I had compromised the counsel that I had received. Now, I wish I had remembered the next sentence in that paragraph, but I didn't. Everyone should be taught to cherish hope and faith even when we give ourselves to Christ and know that he accepts us, we are not beyond the reach of temptation. That's the whole point of the whole paragraph. When Peter was standing, he was sinking, right? And when we think that we are confident in ourselves, we're sinking. And that's why this author says you should never say, I am saved. Good for me. I'm proud of me. Like Peter, when he was walking on the water, began to think about himself and be confident in himself. He was thinking. This concept of not being wanting to say that we're saved has troubled me through the years, and I think it troubles the Seventh-day Adventist Church, partly because of the concepts that many of our Baptist Christian friends, many of them say, I'm saved and therefore I can never be lost. You and I disagree with that if you're Seventh-day Adventist. We say, even when you give yourself to him and know that he accepts you, you're not beyond the realm of temptation, right? Amen? And so we don't want to necessarily jump in on the, are you saved, and say, I'm saved, because it gives an impression that we're proud of self and that we think we're beyond temptation, and we're not. I remember a few years ago, about three years ago, a teacher at Southern Adventist University asked her 28 students if you were to die tonight, how many of you have confidence that you would have eternal life? Not one student raised his or her hand. Now that's sad. I think of another situation. I, I think of, what, what is it that we... We as Seventh-day Adventists have a little bit of insecurity on this subject, frankly. And I'll show you scripture in a few minutes. As a little kid, I used to think that if I was good, I was... Have you ever heard the gospel beanbag story? Where you are the beanbag. And the Lord has you if you're good. But as soon as you're bad... And who has you now? The devil. And if you have to be a good a long time before the devil gives you up and throws you back to the Lord. And as soon as you sin, and the devil has you. And what is it that gets into my little pea brain to think that God throws us away because we sin? That is a lie. And I'll show you that in scripture in just a little bit. And so, Scripture never uses the, the term, are you saved, in the sense that we are asked today. I want to have you take your Bibles and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. 
The scripture uses a slightly different phrases when it talks about this. John chapter 6, and here's a powerful passage that paraphrases the concept that I want to talk about today. Verse 53, John chapter 6, verse 53. And I have the NIV today. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So the question is, do you have eternal life? And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Now, we'll talk a little later what Jesus was actually saying here. But the question for you is, do you have eternal life? The problem is, people misunderstand the question sometimes. And they have their understanding of saved, like some of my Pentecostal relatives, they think that if you speak in unknown tongues once in your life, now you're saved. They think they have eternal life if they've done that one time. And others think that if you have accepted Jesus you cannot be lost in no matter what you do, bad, terrible, drugs, alcohol, prostitution, pornography, you know, all the wicked things you can think of that people do. God's still going to save you because once you chose to accept Jesus when you were a nine-year-old boy or girl. So the problem is sometimes when you're asked that question, you don't want to say something that they interpret in another way that's wrong. So today I'd like to try to look at this from a scriptural point of view. And so let's start with, go back to our scripture reading, Romans, the eighth chapter. Verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The question is, are you in Christ Jesus? Do you have eternal life? Now, to be in Jesus Christ is kind of like the verse that we just read in John chapter 6. Jesus said, unless you eat my what? Flesh and drink my what? Now, pastor, do you want to explain that passage? Okay. <laughs> But what is Jesus saying there? He's saying, unless you have Jesus on the, the phrase, the paragraph below, just before it said, I am the bread of life, okay? How many of you had bread for breakfast? Biscuits qualify. Okay. Not funny. You all must be hungry. You didn't even have any biscuits for breakfast. So here Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now, some of you who did have some bread or biscuits for breakfast, where is the bread right now? And it's being digested. It's giving you energy, strength, and focus, and you're paying attention, right? Okay. Now, if Jesus is like bread, where does Jesus want to be? On the outside? Like a coat or a dress? 
Not at all. Jesus wants to be inside of you. And if you go down in that chapter in John chapter 6, we won't go back to it, a few verses later, the 70 disciples, they left him. And Jesus says to the 12, are you going to leave me too? They said, this is a hard saying. It is a hard thing to be a Christian to have Jesus on the inside. It's an easy thing to have Jesus on the outside. You put on some nice clothes, maybe a little deodorant or perfume, and you comb your hair. We men, some of us shave our whiskers. And you come to church and you sit with nice people, and they're all well-behaved. Even the children, they're very well-behaved. I was very noisy and cried a lot when I was a little kid. I could out-scream any preacher. He had, when I screamed and cried, he had to be quiet. But these kids are good. And, but Jesus wants to live inside of us, and if we do that, hmm, who's in charge of my television? Jesus is. And who's in charge of your computer? Jesus is. And who's in charge of the internet and your cell phone? And who's in charge of your checkbook? Jesus is. Now, if Jesus is in charge of your checkbook, the question is, has he been in charge of your checkbook last month? Because if Jesus is on the inside of you, and controlling your mind, you might be doing some things differently this month than you did last month, right? And that's what made the disciples turn and no longer walk with him. The 70 disciples left because they said, that's fanatical. I don't want to be a fanatic. That kind of religion, to have Jesus in charge of everything? It's crazy. I want to be in charge of my own checkbook. Hmm. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the little book of 1 John. Back toward Revelation, just there it is. And this is an interesting passage because the problem that we get into emotionally when we deal with do you have eternal life is because the devil wants to make us think that when we sin, the Lord has to throw us to the devil. And we're no longer a Christian. I wish I could have thought of another text. Hmm. Maybe. Okay, it's right here. We'll follow that. I'll come back to that. John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from most of our unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. 
If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. Now, here's the critical part. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So the question is, what happens to you when you do sin? Can I help you out here? I had three, pain, three and a half years of painful Greek in the college. And this text is a lot clearer in Greek than it is in English, I guarantee you. Here's what he says in Greek. My dear children, I write these to you so that you will not continue in sin. Got that? You would say to your grandchildren or your children, Johnny, don't continue playing in the mud puddle of life. But then it goes on and it really says, but if anyone does step in a mud puddle, if any of you do sin, punctil your aorist, active, indicative form of the Greek, if once in a while you do get into a mess, get out. So the question is not the sin issue, the question is do we wallow in it? Going over to chapter 3. Verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Does that touch you like it touches me? I grew up in a stressful home. My father had lots of girlfriends and lots of money. My mother had nothing except the Lord. And uh, when, when she let us go off, finally in the court released me from my father's control. And I went off to academy. Mother had saved $100 to give me for my sophomore year in a college, in, in academy. And that's all that she could give me for the next three years. Because she had no job. That was money that she made selling cream from a cow that she milked by hand. And eventually when I went off to college, she gave me $120 for my freshman year in college. That's all the money she'd been able to save up. And that's all that she was able to help me with in college. I remember driving past one of my professor's house, which happened to be a nice brick house. Not at all like the houses we lived in. And I thought, wow, wouldn't it be nice to live in a nice brick house? That looks nice. I wish somebody would adopt me. Somebody that understood some of my problems and could talk about it and help me. And sometimes financially it'd be nice too. And, and for several years, I remember striking rich when I found in the Psalms that says, when our mother and our father forsake us, the Lord will take us up. Can you say amen? amen. And I felt, I've been adopted. This is neat. I've got a family in heaven. And I'm a, I'm a prince. 
Now, I don't act like a prince sometimes, but, but I am. And really, I am. Now, my, my shoes don't look so good, and, and my clothes didn't look too good back those days, but, but I am, because the Bible says right here, I am a child of God. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you are too. Now, the problem comes when the devil says, ah, but you sinned. You said a bad word. And you thought a naughty thought. And therefore, you're no child of God. You're a miserable reprobate, and you're going to burn in hell just like me. And Jesus says, no. The problem is not the sin. The problem is wallowing in the sin. Aorist, active, indicative point. If you sin, you have an advocate, you have a defense, you have an attorney. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who stands in your place, and when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. And Jesus holds out his hands. And Jesus points to his side. And he said, I died for that last spear. I know he's a bit of a rascal, and I know he's not acting exactly like royalty right now. But that's my son. And we're part of the family of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him, dear friends. Now we are children of God. I hope that, that you can soak into that this week and realize and there's a phrase and I'm, I'm not French I'm hillbilly we have our own language don't make fun of hillbilly but there's a phrase in French that says royalty has expectations and when you are a son or a daughter of God God has some expectations of you. Doesn't mean you're, he's asking you to be perfect because he knows you won't be. But he wants you. Now, there's a car I see going up and down the highway and the big trucks say, Lexus. What's the phrase? Searching for perfection. Something like that. That's, that's not quite perfectly it, but that, that's the concept. Striving for perfection. And for a child of God, we're striving for perfection. Amen? I, I don't think I'll ever get there until Jesus comes when this corruptible puts on incorruption. But, by the grace of God, I am his child. I am perfectly surrendered to him. And so by God's grace... I found wonderful compassion, wonderful joy in knowing that I am a son of God. Look over in chapter 5. Chapter 5 of 1 John and start with verse 11. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
God doesn't want you insecure in your relationship with Him. Now, I have a wonderful wife, and once in a while she uh, burns the toast. Does that mean that we're no longer married? That would be pretty stupid of me, wouldn't it? But that's about how stupid the devil's argument is to say when you sin, you're no longer son of God or daughter of God. Amen? There is, when we have, somebody was going to have a baby. Who was that? Okay. Now, when you take and you get that baby from the hospital and you bring him or her, it was a him, right? Okay. You bring Bubba home. And, and, and on the way home, he makes a mess in his diaper. And you turn her car, say, husband, turn this car around, take him back to the hospital. I want one that doesn't leak. <laughs> now, is that reasonable? Is it any more reasonable to say God cannot have children who make mistakes? Now, the problem is, we can make mistakes. The problem is we still need to stay in Him. Amen? I want to stay in Christ Jesus. The point is, do you have eternal life? The question is, are you in Him? Is He in you? Now, some people think that's fanatical, but that's not. That's the only true religion that there is. This other stuff is willy willy, shilly shally, cheap grace. It's not going to get you to heaven. You need to be totally surrendered to Jesus Christ if you're going to get to heaven. You can't get there on a, on a wing and a prayer and, well, I hope, hope I get there. And so how can I answer the question when somebody comes up to me and they say, are you saved? I've designed an illustration. Let's, let's, let's try to follow my illustration. Let's suppose that I like to go fishing, okay? And I've been looking out here at your little lake. Mm -hmm. Do you permit? Okay, good. And let's say that I like to go fishing in a big way, and I go all the way down toward New Orleans, and I take my little john boat about 10 feet long and I got a little motor and I got some fishing poles and some worms and all the stuff you know but the nice thing is I got my life vest and I got it on that's an important thought thought and I go out in the Mississippi and I start fishing and there comes a little storm up and the waves get a little bigger and a little bigger a little bigger, and they can get six and eight feet tall real fast in the Mississippi, guaranteed. And it comes a rainstorm, and it overturns my little John boat, and it throws me out in the water, and the Mississippi carries me on into the Gulf of Mexico. It turns night. Fortunately, I've got my life vest on. And I spend the night out there, and long, long, long night. And morning finally breaks. The storm is over. And somebody comes out. 
He's gone at one of his little jet skis, and he sees me, and he says, Boy, what you doing out here? I was fishing, and the storm dumped me out. Can you take me back? He says, No, this is only a one-man jet ski. Oh, but I've got a rope. I say, Good, would you tow me back to the land, please, sir? And he throws me their little rope, and he says, hang on tight, and you better believe I'm going to hang on tight. And he turns around, and he heads back toward New Orleans, and he's dragging me, and then he stops. He says, are you saved? Now, at that point, I show him my rope, and I say, sir, so far, so good. Because it's not over with yet, Right? I'm still in water. I'm still depending on him to get me there. The point is, when somebody asks you if you're saved, the point is, are you a son of God? Are you a daughter of God? Are you a prince or a princess? Has Jesus forgiven your sins? Is Jesus the one that you want to be like? Is he the one that you're counting on? For your salvation. Do you have eternal life? Jesus said you must eat my flesh. And drink my blood. That means having Jesus on the inside. Not just on the outside. If Jesus is on the inside. If he's inside of you. You are a son of God or a prince, princess. And let us be confident that he is our savior and we are his children. There is in the shed blood of Jesus a great holding, a great power to keep us from falling but help us to realize that we must be ever surrendered, not and confident in ourselves, but be confident in his grace and his mercy and his love. It was his shed blood that paid the price so that we could become a prince or a princess. Help us each day of this week to follow, to remember that we are sons and daughters of God. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.